We cry out for restoration in the midst of the trials and stresses of this world. We call upon God to give us revival of life. Do not be afraid, says the Lord. I have promised to be with you. Stand firm, emboldened by his mighty hand. As we hold fast to God's promise, we light this candle as a sign of our joy. Bring your restoration to your people, we pray. Um, this morning's scripture will be taken in Isaiah 41, 8 through 14. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, who I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O warm Jacob, O little Israel. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Um, the second scripture is found in 1 Peter 1, 3-7. to Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Keep in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Good morning. Greetings to those that are listening or watching at home or wherever you are. Um, welcome, and we focus this morning on the hope that we have. This theme of fear is something that all of us can identify with. It's the fear of the uncertainty. I remember uh, that when I was diagnosed with leukemia and realized after a few weeks that every week I would need to go in for blood work. And then this finally went to two, every two weeks and then eventually a little longer. But every time we would go in, the routine was always the same. Five minutes or so in the doctor's office, nurse would take the blood test and then we would have the half hour wait go back out into the waiting area, 
And every week I would sit in that waiting area at the Elkhart Clinic waiting to find out what the test results were, whether or not uh, I was relapsing and uh, my blood counts were worse or whether they were holding steady or whether they were uh, even getting better. And I remember that time of in-betweenness, that time of uncertainty was very fearful being afraid of something that was a bad result and not knowing. And I think all of us can identify with some forms of fear at times. Um, Some of us, I'll own it, had a fear of darkness growing up and uh, and always wanted to, to have the lights turned on before I would go anywhere in the house. It's reported by many that there are 365 times that the Bible says do not fear. A fact-checking effort revealed that maybe closer to 175 to 200 times. uh, It depends on how you interpret the different phrases that talk about not having fear. And in almost all of those that it occurs, it's, it's either God or Jesus or an angel sent by God that delivers that phrase, do not fear. It's certainly hundreds of times. And this morning, we just looked briefly here at this question of what does fear have to do with a hope? of having hope. Now, if we don't have hope, I mean, we're going to be struggling because hope reduces helplessness. It increases happiness. It reduces stress. It actually improves the quality of life. Stress and worry and anxiety, which is sort of the opposite of peace and encouragement and hope, Um, that actually has an impact on our bodily functions and our our stress level, our heart rate, the the blood flow, and all of those factors can impact muscle response. There's, There's a way in which we understand that everything about stress and worry as opposed to not having fear can impact our lives. And so what is it that Peter is talking about in a couple of other scriptures where he refers to this living hope? It's not just a hope that something happens. It's a living hope. Now, Peter was writing this passage to a group of Christians that were strangers in the world he refers to that in this passage um, that we'll look at here and they had been spread throughout Asia Minor they had been displaced the Roman government was starting to persecute the Christians for their faith and Peter was writing to them to say to not say oh it's not that bad you'll get through it That's not what he's saying. He's addressing it head on and he's saying, look, 
Yeah, it's bad. But God is better. There's something that he's pointing to as a living hope, not just a hope that things change, the hope that you can actually have victory right now. A living hope is not a dead hope. A living hope is, a, is something that, that is active and, and changes us from within. And that's the kind of hope that he's talking about. So when he, whenever they say, do not fear, uh, it has to do with a change of perspective. And we're going to get into that this morning is, is the idea that until we get this idea that there is a shift between the thinking and the viewing and the interpreting of what's going on around us in the context of this world, we're going to miss it until we look beyond that to say, wait a minute, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And so when we talk about a hope that is, is a living hope, it's calling us to something that we can have peace in even in the middle of the storm. And isn't it ironic that it's Peter that's writing about this? The same Peter who wanted to protect Jesus from getting arrested, the same Peter who looked at the storm and started to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus and he got scared by the storm and what it could do to him instead of focusing on Jesus. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times at, at Jesus' crucifixion, the same Peter that, that had, had this struggle with trusting in what Jesus was saying, that it's not the kingdom of this world or a government or a force that we're taking over, but it is actually the ushering in of the peace of a different kingdom. And so when Peter is writing these words, and we'll make a couple of references back to Peter, he's talking about a hope that goes beyond just looking around at the immediate circumstances. In Romans 8, I want to just, let's reflect on this passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, uh, verse, chapter 8, verse 18 to 28. And I just want to focus particularly on 19 to 21, but verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Now this is Paul speaking. And listen especially to these next two or three verses. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice. In other words, it wasn't created. The world wasn't created to have sin in it and brokenness and anger and violence. That's not what the world was created for. But by the will, it says, of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. What is the decay? The decay is sin and brokenness, selfishness, self-centeredness, um, getting what I want, change my circumstances, God, so that I can be, have a better, get a better grade or I can... 
I can have a better business deal or I can have more money or, or whatever it is. We want God to, to come in and change it and to be liberated from the bondage to decay and sin and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And then he goes on to say, we know that the whole creation has been groaning and is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Meaning they were expecting a Messiah to come and change the world. And he did. But the world only changes one person at a time. He goes on to say in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the, have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. In other words, what our hopes are and what our ultimate salvation is, is when this world will be redeemed by the coming again of Jesus. And we wait in expectation. So when you think about the children of Israel, they were fearful because of the Roman government at their time. Now we have all kinds of fears. Nuclear war, all kinds of disease and, and, and struggles with viruses we can't seem to control or, or know what's what. And then we, we are under the under the, the absolute tyranny of political war. And it all is missing the point. What Peter's calling us to is a living hope that gives us peace here and now. And we don't have to wait for, it's like, oh, come on, you know, if... Once this policy gets passed, once that person gets elected, once, once the, the war here is over and the war there is over, once all the children are fed, which by the way, there are one or two people that could feed every single person and take care of every medical need in the entire world right now. And it's not being done. But... We wait for those things like only when all that's taken care of, then we can sit back and go, yeah, wow, this was what I've been waiting for. And we won't be, it won't, we won't be content until we really understand the nature of the kingdom of God coming in. Let's, let's step back. That, that's something that I want you to hear over all of this message is that the reason that we get fearful and the reason we struggle with so many things in this life is because we, we haven't had the perspective transformation that Peter had and that all the disciples had when they finally understood what Jesus really came to usher in. But let's look at some of the foundations of fear because fear is an emotion that we were given. Um, it's particularly after the sinful part of and the brokenness of the garden, there was no fear recorded prior to that first sin of Adam and Eve. And so let's, but let's look at what we struggle with. 
and what we worry about. Uh, the foundation of our fears, it's something or something, something or someone that we, we don't know. And, and you've heard the phrase, stranger danger. Stranger danger, I don't know that person. We try and train our kids, if it's a stranger and you don't know them, be afraid of them or stay away from them. Because, and we instill that sort of fear and worry. And um, if, we, if it's something that we don't know, we get afraid of it. If it's something that could harm us, we, we have fear in that. And that is not necessarily an unwarranted fear. It's not that, that scripture is telling us that, that the, the emotion or the reaction of fear is, is always wrong or bad. It's this question of what are you going to do in response to it? A third one is it's something we don't understand. What is going on here? And, and many times when God revealed himself, it was like, hello, there's an angel choir singing in the sky. You hear them and you hear them talking to you. And, and, and at different points in scripture, it's kind of like, you know, the reaction is, well, what is this? We would all have that reaction. I would think it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is God breaking in and revealing himself. Um, and so uh, there, is, there is a sort of natural fear of something that we don't know. And, and it's because of the fourth one that I'm thinking of is it's something that we can't control. If we can't control it, it's something to be afraid of. It's only when we, we've got this. We've got everything the way we want it and we handle it and then it's, it's going to be fine. Then we feel like we're in control and then we're not afraid. Well, none of those reduce our fears significantly until we get that there's something more that comes in and entertains an address of the fear itself by replacing it with something else. Listen to these examples of passages um, that address fear with a living hope. Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who do I need to be afraid of? Because... Let you say, okay, well, what if somebody comes into your house? Yeah, that's scary. That, the, the emotion of, of being afraid would be a normal reaction to that. Um, but ultimately, we are trained to then turn to God, which we do, and overcome that with the presence and the trust. But that's... That's this question of, if I have God on my side, who do I need to fear? Psalm 118.6, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I was surprised in, in looking at some scriptures, how many times that phrase comes up. What can mere mortals do to me? You, oh, you mere mortal. You may, you may slap me around and hit me and hurt me, but what can you do to me? <laughs> 
I, I mean, that there, there is this sort of brashness of saying, you mere mortals, you, you can say things that hurt my feelings, but you can't touch my relationship with God. And you will not overcome my faith. Uh, I digress. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Our, our, our courage brick. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's not just Jesus saying that. That is long before God saying that to his people. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, Deuteronomy 3.22, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And Luke 12.32, Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not fear. In nearly all of these passages where God, Jesus, or angels speak, there is a call to a purpose beyond just getting rid of the fear. And in fact, there's a relationship between those. One of the reasons we're afraid is because we lose our place. We lose where we were. Do you ever get that when you're reading a book and somebody keeps interrupting you and then you have to go back and find your place again? It's really hard for me with one eye to find my place again and in my notes uh, or in a book, you know, it's like, stop annoying me. I, I've got to look it up all over again. Oh, and by the way, yes, I did take out the trash, uh, you know, last night. And uh, yeah, now f let me finish reading this. You know, we want to keep finding our place. We're so prone to taking our focus off of the purpose uh, and that, it, that we're being called to be replaced. You know, that that thing of fear, notice what Joseph did. And I won't read the whole passage, but in Matthew 18 to 25, you have the story of how Jesus accepts, uh, of how Joseph ex accepts this call to be the father of Jesus. And you talk about uh, being afraid. Here, here he didn't know what to do because he's with someone that he's courting who is now expecting and nobody's going to believe this and Jesus basically or God sends an angel to speak to Joseph in verse 20 it says but after he had considered this in other words quietly divorcing her 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph acted on what he had been told. And so he responded with a sense of purpose of saying, I will be this child's father. And so when things bring fear to our life and situations, you know what the first thing is. In fact, I've heard stories of the great philosophers who denounced and denied Jesus uh, and, and the Christian faith for years and years and got to the end of their life and then called upon God in their dying moments. Uh, and it's kind of like this thing of suddenly the reality and the fear of death, which is one of our greatest fears, ends up calling them back to responding by saying, God, please help, or are you there? So in our response, we, we look to God. That's the first thing. God gets our attention. And we say, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, maybe I want to get your attention. Maybe I want to get you to pay attention to what I'm trying to say, how I want to lead, how I want to work. And, and by doing that, we finally look to God. And also, God reveals himself. The fact that he has said over and over again, I promise you this, I promise you this, I promise you this, I promise you this. I am sovereign, I will be there, I will be with you, I will be over all and in all and through all, and you can count on me and trust in me. And there is this kind of breaking in of the heavenly reality of God's kingdom. Um, and, and it breaks us from relying on the sinful brokenness of the hopes of this world. So first we look to God. Secondly, we listen to God. Look here and hear me. I've got news for you, God is saying. And then our response is, is a question. And usually when God speaks, we stop. And we don't look to God or listen to God unless we first of all realize that we're not in control anymore. And so uh, we are hearing about how God's kingdom works and how God wants to meet us. The thirdly, we line ourselves up with God. We make sure the message and the expectations, the choices are clear. Now, that got people in trouble. And uh, uh, let's, uh, let's correct something here. I, I errantly told you some months ago uh, about uh, uh, about the the anger problem that that Moses had throughout the wilderness experience, and I errantly told you that that the primary reason uh, that he did not go into the promised land was because of his being angry and breaking the stone tablets. That was pointed out to me very clearly. It was actually because of another situation that it clearly says that's why he does not go into the promised land because God told him that he's supposed to tell the people a certain thing and, and, and instead of doing what God had instructed, Moses got a little angry and struck the rock with his staff. The water still flowed out, but that wasn't the point. He wasn't obedient, he hadn't listened. 
And we have to line ourselves up with what God is calling us to. Line ourselves up with the word. We have to basically live into what we say we believe and, and to correct that. And so um, we, we're really called to make a choice to put our trust in God. We hear God's call and command. The question that Joseph had was, wow, I, it was just a dream, right? I don't have to listen to the dream. Joseph was obedient to, because he knew that it was God speaking to him through the dream. And he lined himself up by changing what he was going to do and doing what God was asking him to do and to honor uh, his wife and to be a father to God's son. And so we line ourselves up. And then the last thing is that, that we live for God. Joseph acted on what he was told. We're called to acting on the call and command of God. You know, now what, what all would that look like? Uh, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Now, I just want to take just two seconds here. There's two things in that phrase. Um, the substance, some in the King James Version, uh, it says the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Uh, that word substance is, is uh, interpreted differently. In the English Standard Version, uh, it's, the, it's called assurance. Uh, the NIV uses confidence, uh, or in the New Living Translation, the reality, the substance, or the assurance, or confidence, the reality. In other words, all of those dance around the, the, the fact that we have confident, a sense of, of, of clarity about what God is going to do and how God's going to work. And the assurance uh, of what we do not see is that we start to trust in God and we start to believe what God says and do what he says. And so his word can be trusted and we have confidence in this. And he goes on to, to talk about the fact that, that uh, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, he cites all of them as having faith because they followed up on what God called them to do. I like what John Maxwell said uh, in his book, Think on These Things. He said, hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes the, when the body is tired. Hope sweetens while bitterness bites. Hope sings while, when all melodies are gone. Hope believes when evidence is eliminated. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope reaches for answers when no one is asking. Hope presses toward victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. Hope brings victory when no one is winning. Fear will keep us in limbo. 
inactive, uncertain, in doubt, questioning, second-guessing. We will criticize ourselves mercilessly or we will criticize others mercilessly and we will be depressed. Friends, hope is not the absence of fear. It is the presence of trust. That's the hope that we can be confident in. That's the hope that gives us the assurance of knowing that we turn to the end of the book and we win. That's the clarity of a living hope in a relationship with God, a companionship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the community of faith. In 1 Peter 3, later on from the passage that was read, he again says, uh, talks about those uh, that he, he, uh, Peter says, but even if you suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. Are we ready today to go out of here or go through the, the rushing of the last minute gifts you know, that you're going to be doing this week, especially on Saturday evening when you're frantically going out and buying off anything that's left for your gifts that you neglected to and somebody else tries to grab that? Hey, come on. Our hope is in the one that gives us eternal life, gives us the kingdom of heaven. It's a living hope, and we're called to live in it, to shine it, and to go against the grain and reverse the sin of this world one step at a time by ushering in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Let's sing that living hope as our closing song.